not much response on how in the world are you, so um, well, I'm glad to see you here tonight. The good news is the Cowboys are not behind yet. Bad news is that won't last long. I'm, I don't know if they're behind or not. I'm not listening, you know, in my ear, but uh, if you are, then when they score, let us know, okay? All right, so uh, I don't think that we're going to be excessively long tonight. Um, I kept you way too long if you were in the second service this morning, so we'll try to make that up to you. Uh, but it's been a long day, actually a long week uh, for many of us. So let's talk about prayer. What do you say? No? Okay. Well, then it'll be real short if you don't want to talk about prayer because that's what I have ready for us to talk about. Um, so uh, what's the best way to pray? Was that just talk to God from your heart? Yeah. Anybody else? Okay, good. Where you can kind of come away from everything, right? By the way, I'm going to interrupt myself. Hang on one second. This is, depending on which direction you're looking from, this is a very right-leaning crowd here. I guess if I was on your side, you're left-leaning. So that would, but I'm going to give you, you just look a little right-leaning to me, so... If I start teaching this way, then you'll... <laughs> All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. What's the best way to pray? Get in a closet. Very good. Right? That's good. You know the old, uh, old story where, uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard it, but I'll go ahead and do it. Um, a pastor and a theologian and a guy in a church who happened to be one of those guys that they're going to need in the Carolina, North Carolina in the next day or so, uh, one of those guys who worked on telephone lines and telephone cables, you know, a lineman. Um, those pastor and theologian were talking about the best way to pray. And you know how pastors are. they always, you know, trying to wax theological and say things that are deep. And so the pastor said, well, my, my experience is the, the best way to pray is if you just get down on your knees and you close your eyes and you, you know, bring your hands in front of you like this and you pray. That's the best way to do it. And the theologian, I don't know how many theologians you know, but most theologians know more than anybody else and know better than anybody else about theological stuff. And he said, no, pastor, you're all wrong. The Really the best way to pray theologically is to lie on your face on the floor and just with all humility go before God and pray that way. And this blue-collar guy, the lineman, uh, overheard all of that, and he just kind of shook his head. And he said, you know, guys, I've found that when I'm up on a pole and I lose my footing and I'm hanging upside down, that's the best praying I ever do. (laughs) (laughs) And there's truth to that, right? So um, in my ongoing attempt to hand you tools for your spiritual growth toolbox. I want us to talk about prayer tonight. This is not part of a series. Um, We'll start a new series next week. Uh, I wasn't sure exactly how our schedule was going to go, and I didn't want to start something tonight and, you know, kind of be start and stop and that kind of thing. So we'll start a new series next week. We'll be in the book of Psalms, and um, I want to, and I know that we finished a study in Psalms not too long ago, but... This will be a different kind of study, I suspect, than what you've done. So that'll be next week, and I hope that you'll be here for that. But tonight I want us to look at prayer in maybe a little bit of a context that that could make us a little uncomfortable, honestly. 
but it is in Scripture, so it's worth looking at. So take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 14. While you're turning there, I'm going to set the uh, context for you, all right? This is the children of Israel as they're in their wilderness wandering, and this is where they've come up to the promised land, or just after they've come up to the promised land, and the first time. And you know the story, right? They get close, and so they say, why don't we send some spies over? And so they send the spies over, and the spies come back full of faith and confidence in God, right? <laughs> Wrong. The spies come back, all except for two, and they come, the, those two say, God's promised it, he's going to deliver it, let's go. But the other ten spies say, we, we can't do this. There's giants over there. They'd be giants over there. And yeah, it's flowing with milk and honey and huge grapes and the whole nine yards, but there's giants over there, and they will, I'm going to put it in my terminology, they will chew us up and spit us out, and we'll have come all this way for nothing. We can't do it. And so the aftermath of that uh, is where we kind of pick up with this. And so chapter 14, if we were going to read it, we could go back to the first part. The subheading on my Bible, chapter 14, verse 1, says the people rebel. And that's a bit of an understatement. And you can go back and read all of that. We're going to pick up actually in verse 11. And let's hear first God's response to the rebellion of the people. And the Lord said to Moses, How, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Somebody put that message in your own words. What did God say? Be my people, or I'm going to wipe you out. <laughs> All right. Um, so does that sound like a good idea? Let me tell you, uh, everybody who's ever pastored understands a little bit of where God's coming from. And by the way, God's people who have served under pastors understand how God might say that about a pastor too, right? Sometimes, like the old guy said, you don't have to be a cannibal to be fed up with people. And, a, and apparently that's a little bit true with God every once in a while. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by this passage because in reality, it's, if, if we are really honest, I'll just put it on me because you may not be this way, but if I'm really honest, those couple of verses that I just read trouble me a little bit that God might, if, if in fact, say, you know what, I'm tired of messing with y'all. I'm just going to wipe you out and I'm going to start over. Mine says... On 12, it says, for the second time, God offered to make of Moses a new nation in a place of this one. So he... <laughs> that, that's like a reboot, right? Yeah. Now, okay, so I wanted to make sure that we, we really feel that. And we could talk at length, and I don't want us to go into the, to it tonight, but it, I, I'm going to give you several things that I hope tonight in this discussion will give you some things to work on in your own devotional life this week. And here's one of them. These two verses. What might it take for God to get so fed up with somebody or a group of somebodies, like a church, for him to say, you know what, I'm just done. I'm just done. I'm going to wipe you out. 
and we'll start over. So that's where we find verses 11 and 12. There's a little more room for some digging in that. And so now we come to Moses praying because now Moses responds to what God had to say. And this is a conversation between God and Moses. And so let's first read verses 13 through 16. Somebody read those verses if you would, please. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you brought up this people from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of the people, for you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye, while your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, because the Lord could not bring his people into the land which he promised them by oath. He therefore slaughtered them in the wilderness. All right. So I'm going to give you four different statements, four different pieces of Moses' prayer. Now I'm going to use my words, not Moses, but I think they capture what Moses is saying. In his prayer to God who is fed up with his people and is now saying, I think I'm just going to wipe you out. Here's the first thing Moses says in those three verses, or those several verses, 13 through 16. Essentially Moses says, now God, you know that your reputation is on the line here. I love there, there are several things about Moses' prayer that I think are show he's got a little bit of moxie. He's got a little bit of willingness to stand up when God is talking in ways that Moses is not too comfortable with. And so the first thing he says is, your reputation's on the line. Now, I'm going to suggest that many times, maybe most of the time in our prayer lives, we're more, more concerned about our reputation than we are with God's reputation. One of my favorite prayers, I heard from a pastor. Well, he was my dad. Uh, and he was going through a particularly tough time at the church. And so those of us on staff gathered in there for a staff meeting, and he led the prayer. And when I walked in, I could tell that something wasn't all that great with him. And I knew enough about what he was going through to think, well, yeah, I'm sure they're not all that great. And so here was his prayer. God, you're about to lose a good preacher down here. <laughs> and I thought, boy. <laughs> um, but that's kind of the way we tend to pray, right? God, you know, I'm going through this and this doesn't really look good for me. So, you know, get me out of this situation. Rescue me from this. Deliver me from that. And sometimes it's about just our hope for survival. But sometimes it's about we don't want to look bad in front of people in some of the situations we have. Moses is more concerned about God's reputation. Maybe Moses is concerned that God might really do what he's saying, and then he'll have a whole new group of people to train up. But the basis of what Moses prays is this. What will, God, what will people think about you, God. If you do this, what will people think? How does that make you feel to hear that from Moses? Okay, so I'm being counselor now. This is an effective question. How does it make you feel? Anybody feel uneasy with the way Moses is talking to God here? Not too much? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So who do you think you are talking to me like that? Okay. How does it make you think? What are the thoughts that go through your head as you hear this? Maybe 
<laughs> that's awesome. That's a great. That's a great deal. You know, another place in this uh, ongoing relationship between God and Moses, Moses goes to God and he says, "You know what? Just kill me, and start over with somebody else." And now the tables are turned here. Um, I, I'm intrigued by not only that Moses can do that, but I'm also a little intrigued by it seems to open the door for us to be able to pray that way. But I would encourage you to be really careful when you think that you should coach God on what he's doing. Okay, uh, Because as we know in other places in Scripture, your ways are not my ways. In other words, I, you know, God's saying to us, you, you don't know what I know. You, you don't have the full picture like I have. And I'm doing things that you don't even know about. I often say that God is so complex in the way that he deals with us. We think he's just dealing with us in a situation, and he's got 50,000 other points of contact that grow out of how that situ situation goes. So I would say that it, at least as it opens the door for the possibility that we might be able to go to God and say, essentially, your reputation's on the line with how this is going, I would urge caution in that. Moses is right about this. And I don't think that it's new information for God when Moses lays it out there, but it's an interesting thing for me. Here's the irreducible minimum. You understand that term? The irreducible minimum is you can't get any more basic than this, okay? This, this comes down to this. Here's what this comes down to. Um, in, in prayer and in our daily Christian life, the first thing we always must embrace is God's sovereignty. God is God, not me. And if I think that I can coach him on a situation, even though it might be permissible, it might not be advisable. So we default to the irreducible minimum is God's sovereignty, and so we need to be really careful when we think that we're going to coach him a little bit need to be careful that we're not actually throwing a fit about what we're going through. You know, I, have, I had little kids. I have a, a grandson. Now, actually, I've got three grandsons, but the one, <laughs> there's one of them that he throws fits. I mean, this boy knows how to throw a fit. Happened this week, and our daughter texted Teresa before 8 o'clock in the morning, right? 7.15. 7.15. And her, her text was, Mama, pray for me today. This is not a good start to the day. Because her son was advising her on how things ought to go. Kind of like we might do with God if we're not careful. <laughs> so make sure that you're not throwing a fit. Okay, so hidden way in this little piece of prayer is this idea of discernment. The ability to discern the hand of God in a situation. You start with the sovereignty of God, and that is that we default to God is God and I am not. He knows better than I know. That's why this is almost unthinkable to me that Moses would go to God and say, you know what, you need to rethink this. Wow, that takes, that takes some discernment as it turns out. That's the first one. Three more. Here's the second one. 
verse 17, the first part of verse 17, let me, since it's not a whole verse, let me read this one. And so he says, verse 17, And now, please let the power of the Lord be great. Um, so let's do this. You know the story of the Exodus and the children of Israel, right? So let's go back to the point where they're in captivity in Egypt. Walk me through this point. They've come out of captivity in Egypt. They've come through Sinai and through that whole wilderness wandering. They're on the verge of going into the promised land. How has God shown his power up to this point for them? How so? Let's, let's just get them out there. Huh? He crossed the Red Sea, so the splitting of the Red Sea. All right? What else? Manna. All right? Water out of a rock. Quail. Yep. Cloud by day, fire of night. Very good. Don't forget the 12 plagues. 12 plagues? How many plagues were there? 10 plagues, thank you. Yeah, I was at the Costco version. You get 12 for 10. Uh, sorry. I'm just tired. That's just... Uh, all right, so so if we walk through, I mean, we, there's more. We didn't even get them all out there in just this short period of time. Remember the battle where, was it Moses? As long as his hands are being held up, they win the battle. And Okay, so we, we just walk through the whole Exodus thing and we find one thing after another where God showed his power and pulled them out and got them to this point. So part of the prayer tool for you, is this reminder of God's power. I'm intrigued by this because normally we would expect God to say, do you not remember what I did? I mean, I get that a lot with God, right? If if I find myself in a situation and my faith is in the wrong place, usually that means I'm looking at the situation more than I'm looking at the solution, who is God. And so when, if I get in that place where my faith starts failing a little bit, regularly God has said to me through the years, do you not remember what I've done for you? And usually that's followed up with, I didn't bring you this far to leave you now. So normally that's my point of reference, but this is Moses saying to God, now God, think about what you've done. Just now, I don't know how Moses said this. I, I wish I could have, you know, if we had some kind of videotape of Moses saying this prayer, what his tone of voice was and those kind of things. I think we, and here's part of that homework I wanted to give you, go dig in a little bit more in these words and these verses and, and see what you can determine about the spirit in which Moses is offering these, these pieces. But whatever the case, he says, God, show your power. But specifically, where does Moses expect this power to be shown? Look again at what we've already looked at. What's the situation? How does Moses expect God to show his power in this? Verse 17 again. And now, please let the power of the Lord be great. Back up and look at what he said. Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them. So he points back to the power God showed in defeating their enemies. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. He's shown himself to be real to them. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face. 
and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say it's because he wasn't able to get them there. Where Moses is applying the power of God or saying to God, don't forget your power, he's wanting him to apply that into the situation with these people. God has done things for this people that made his name great. And now these people, and we're going to get to this part of it in just a second, now these people, well, let's just get to it right now. Failure, because God had done so much for them, God's failure to work through this would damage his reputation. That, that is an amazing thing to me, that God allows us in our choices of whether to be faithful or not to put his reputation on the line. Think about that. That my choices can cause other people to either believe or disbelieve God. My choices can cause God's reputation either to prosper or to fall. Today, as I was coming in for Deacon's meeting, uh, I was listening to uh, one of the news stations on the radio, and they reported that the Pope, this is Catholic, by the way, in case you don't know who the Pope is, the Pope has summoned all American bishops to the Vatican. And he's doing that because of the sexual abuse things and allegations and apparently realities that have occurred through the years. Here's my question. Several, Bob and I and a couple of the deacons were talking about this before we started deacons meeting today. What do you think is going to be the net effect of that scandal in the Catholic Church on the general population in America that it already tends to disagree that God is real and that God loves us. And so they very likely will hear that and go, you see, what kind of God would allow that to happen? Think about what God does when he allows us and the choices we make to impact how people see him. Now that's an amazing thing to me. You know why? Because I know me. And I know my ability to blow it. Well, not even sometimes like when you have like we'll say good people or like a tremendous pastor or something like that. And then all of a sudden like a trap like they get a you right. know, or a stroke or right. something like that. Right. And you go, What you know, don't you think, Why, Lord? Mm -hmm. Right. Why did this happen? Yeah. You think in, in, in not even just that, but to someone well like when Billy Graham died or something mm -hmm. like that. Right. You know, obviously he was old, but you know what I'm saying? But when somebody that's so dynamic and that has right. had such an enormous effect on people mm -hmm. that, right. that lost is why, you know, in some cases you, you question God. Why yeah. sure. why did you let that happen? Right. I think it's okay to question, I mean, I want you to be careful how you hear what I'm about to say, okay? But I think it's okay for us to take those questions to God. If they're real questions for us, I think God, first of all, God already knows it, right? I mean, it's not like it's going to be a surprise to him if we go to him and say, you know, God, I don't think this is right. 
He already knows that we're thinking that. So I think we have the freedom to go to him. I know that because he allowed that with Moses. He allowed that with Habakkuk. And we could find various places throughout the Old Testament and New where some of his choice servants came to him and went, I don't think this is right. Okay? And Moses is doing that here in a sense because what he's saying is, remember what you've already done. So one of the places I think that we can come to God in prayer as we, as we deal with this kind of stuff is to just go and say, God, now, some of this is a positioning for us. Most of the time, prayer is a positioning thing for us, much more than it is about changing God's mind about something. But in this particular case, you come and say, okay, God, I don't understand this. Moses teaches us something because we can go to God and say, okay, God, you've done this and you've done this and you've all of these things. Remember what you've done and now help me understand why that's not being applied here. Where's your power in this circumstance? I think as long as that's an honest question, it's an okay question. If you're just using it to bully up on God and make accusations, then that might be a different problem. So God, show your power. That's the first part of verse 17. Here's the third one. First one was, God, your reputation's on the line. Second one, God, show your power. And now we get, God, remember your word. So remember your power. Show it here. Now remember your word. Second part of verse 17 and verse 18 so I pick up reading second part of verse 7. I'll just read all 17. And now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, as you have promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and to the fourth generation. You ever heard that verse before or that statement about God before? Where's Moses get that description of God? Exodus what? 34? All right. Is that, yeah, that, is that where he hides him in the cleft of the rock and God comes by and gives a self-identification? Let's see if it's 34. I know that it's also part of it at least is in Exodus 20 verse 6, which is one of the Ten Commandments, where God self-identifies these things that he just said there. Exodus 34, New Tablets. That's it. I'm gonna, that's part of your homework, all right? So go dig through Exodus 34. And how God deals with children of Israel and Moses, especially in that. He gives this self-description, self-identification. You ready for this question? Are you self-confident enough or are you confident enough in your knowledge of God and his word to throw it back at him in prayer in a situation like this? Okay, what do you mean by that? If it's confusion. Well, Moses like I don't understand. Moses is showing his confusion of things that were Great answer. That's right. So here, so let me put that in my words if, you, if it's okay. And if I'm wrong for what you're saying, tell me. But Moses doesn't quite understand how God could be where God is in verses 11 and 12. How, it's, it's like it doesn't com- compute for him. And so, in addition to saying, hold on a second, and in addition to saying, couldn't you just use the power you used before in this situation? Now he's going, but you said this. Is that, is that the confusion telling? Yeah. yeah. So you said this. So the question that I have for you is, are you confident enough in your knowledge of God's Word that when you're facing a situation like that, 
you have pieces of scripture that you can play to say, okay, so how does this fit? So I, I like that about Moses, but what, what situations might we face that would call for this taking scripture back into the prayer and saying, okay, God, what about this? Yes, ma'am. I think it comes through because Right, right. Very good. Very good. I had a situation like this in church I served. When God called me to be the pastor at First Baptist Church of Edinburgh, uh, my dad had been the pastor, and he resigned. And uh, he told me before he resigned that he was going to. This was actually the second time he resigned that church. That's a whole other story. But, um, and um, you know, I, hadn't, I didn't really want to go down there in the first place to serve on staff with him. And then we did, and then God called. Well, he resigned and left and came back. Church called him back as pastor. We left after that, went to Hobbs, New Mexico for three years. The church called us back as the assistant pastor. And then not, you know, just a handful of years after that, my dad uh, had to retire because he's starting to have dementia issues. And so when he retired, he came to me and he said, I just want you to know that this was like in January or so. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retire, but I'm going to talk to the church and say, I'll stay with you to help you get search committees set up and those kind of things, and then we'll go. So, so I knew, here, here's the reality of a situation like that. When the son of the pastor is on staff with the pastor and the pastor's about to leave, most pastors coming in after that one would have a hard time with the son who was the, on, being on staff together. So I just had to pray through that. Dries and I talked about it and prayed through it. So, God, does this mean that our time here is done? You need us to move on to make it easier for the next guy coming in. And, um, and the, or is, you know, because God had already changed my calling, and I knew that a couple of years before that, and so it became this, this struggle for us. Do we, do we move and put in a resume to be considered, or do we just move? And uh, so the bottom line is we stayed, but in that process of trying to make the decision, God, are you in this? Should we stay and be the pastor if they ask us to or what? In the process of God saying, stay, you will be the next pastor of that church. That may sound a little strange and egotistical to you, but I'm just telling you, uh, it, it's a great story of how God moved the whole church in that process. It was not a son, you know, natural uh, was it natural selection to be the next pastor? It was a real process. But for me, all of that gets me to say this. For me, as soon as God said, I want you to, be the, to, to stay, he immediately on the heels of that said, but you just need to know it's going to be a war. <laughs> Thanks. And so it was such a clear thing. And, I, and, you know, if we had the time, I would give you some of the clarifications that we got in the process. It was a time in my life where God didn't speak audibly, but he might as well have. It was such a clear series of messages that I got from him relative to that. 
And I figured out later I needed to be because it was war. And if it hadn't been those clear, distinctive calling kind of things, then I would have been going, I'm not even supposed to do this. I missed God's will somewhere. I know I didn't miss God's will, and it was war. So what happened is I started from that moment that I got that message. I started in my own devotional life working my way through the book of Proverbs. By the way, if, you, if, you've been, if you're ignoring the book of Proverbs in your devotion time, you probably ought to fix that. It is incredible the wisdom that you pick up in everyday life, no matter what field you're in. So I would be reading through Proverbs. I'd take a chapter a day. If you do a chapter a day in Proverbs, you cover the whole book in a month. And if you do that, then I would say repeat it the next month and then repeat it the next month and just build that into your daily stuff. So as I was working my way through the book of Proverbs, day after day, I would read a verse and God would say, that's a war principle. And that's a war principle. And that's a, that's a battle principle for the war that's coming. And so God began to teach me before the wars ever started the stuff that I needed to know to be able to get there. So here's why that's all so important. There were a couple of times in those wars that were being fought, spiritual battles. There were a couple of times that I was ready to just walk away. I am not doing this anymore. And my prayer would be, God, you told me to do this. <laughs> I'm doing this because you told me to do this. I think that's some of what we get with Moses here. God, remember your word. And you know what God did with that for me? He would, every time he said, I told you it was coming. And I even gave you principles ahead of time to prepare you for that. It's an incredible thing when you, ha you build a stockpile of Scripture in your life. It's amazing how practical God's Word is when it comes to how you live your life. But the deal is you have to know it. You have to spend time in God's Word, and it has to make an impact in your life. I, I mark up Bibles. I, I pulled a Bible off of my shelf at the house uh, this week, and uh, as I was working my way, it's a, it's a Bible that I got for an ordination gift from First Baptist Church at Halfway in 1986. I've written a lot in the margins of that Bible. And it's a good reminder of the journey that God's brought me on. I hope you have a Bible like that or a journal like that or something where you're taking good notes about what God is teaching you and what his word is to you because there will be times in your life that you may get to a point in your prayer life to go, God, you said, <laughs> and it's okay to do that. So let's do the last one and we'll go. So what are the first three? Let's see. Test time, pop test. They got a piece of paper, fold it in half, from number one to ten. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Reputation's on the line. That's the first one. Second, what? Show your power. Thirdly, remember your word. And here's the last one. I love this one best of all. This is verse 19. The prayer is, God, just be yourself. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, verse 19. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Isn't that great? To be able to double down on the character of God in prayer and say, God, I don't understand this, 
it, it doesn't make sense to me. So I'm just going to trust you. Please just be, be yourself. Okay? I, I often pray for people when I don't know how to pray for them. God, just do your best for them because I can default to God's best as always being absolutely best for any of us. There's three elements to this for them. The first one is pardon. You know what the word pardon means in Hebrew? I looked it up. It means pardon. <laughs> it's hard to improve on that. It is a forgiveness that is granted. Now, now we get into, and if I was doing a character study of Moses, I would talk about his own character in this prayer. But I love this part of Moses, the heart of a pastor in Moses that says, yeah, God, these people are a bunch of knuckleheads. They have done stuff that, you know, you all by all rights, you could just wipe them out. But who you are won't let you do that. <laughs> Pardon them. Give them that freedom, that release from their sin. And then the next part of it is the measure of that pardon, and it's consistent with the depth of God's love for them. How deep is God's love for you? You know what challenges me a lot of the times? I go and I appeal to God for the depth of His love for me, but I ask Him to work other people over. I mean, I don't do that. <laughs> My flesh wants me to ask him to work people over. God, you just give them what they deserve. I would never pray that for myself, but it seems easy to pray for other people, right? So Moses doesn't do that. The heart of a pastor here, he says, God, you know, the depth of your love for them, let it just overflow in this situation. It's a great picture for us. And then he appeals to the historical pattern of that. You've been, you've been doing it since we left Egypt. Why is today any different than any of those other days that you pardoned and forgave? It's a good way to pray. Hear me very carefully now. I'll try to get through this without any kind of breakup. It's a good way to pray for your kids when you know that they're not doing what God told them to do. When you know that people that you love are thumbing their nose at God and running from him, not just wandering away, but running from him. It's a great way to pray for your kids. God, just be who you are with them. Gracious, merciful. Moses doesn't deny that God has that part of him that is full of justice, but when it comes to the justice part, Moses says, please pardon them. It's a good, it's a good lesson for us, I think. So I'll close this way. Prayer is dangerous. This kind of prayer is dangerous. Because if we're not careful, we take our agenda and then we begin to use it against God with these kind of permissions that we get. Moses teaches us that there's an appropriate way to disagree with what God wants to do. But you better be sure that it's the appropriate way. That it's based in your own love for people and your awareness of the sovereignty of God and your submission to both of those in His hands. Uh, it's, it's dangerous. And so in order to get there, I think it requires that we have a vibrant relationship and a vibrant fellowship with God. If it's been a while since you prayed, don't pray this prayer. <laughs> because this prayer requires really good discernment and really good submission 
and a humility that comes from knowing God's place and knowing our place with Him and knowing His Word well enough to say, okay, here's what I think, God. But ultimately it comes down at the end to say, we just trust you to be yourself. It's dangerous, but at the same time it can point us to that call for a deeper walk on every day so that when we find ourselves in these situations, we know how to pray. All right? Thank you for being here. God bless you. Next week we'll pick up in the book of Psalms. All right, let's pray and we'll go. Father, I'm always amazed at the way your word and the real life situations of people thousands of years ago reach right into 21st century life in El Paso, Texas, and you teach us how to be good disciples, good followers of you, good people who love you and other people too. So as we work on our prayer lives, first we say thank you for the privilege of praying, that you're not God who's far off and distant and unconcerned and uninvolved. You give us not only the opportunity, but in fact the invitation to step into your very throne room and share our deepest thoughts and feelings and experiences with you. And then you speak into those. You speak, sometimes you speak peace, and sometimes you speak love, and sometimes you speak correction. But always we can be confident that as you speak into our hearts and into our situations, that you always have our best interest at heart. And so help us to be good prayers take advantage of this freedom and this privilege we have to come before you, that you would build in each of us that close fellowship with you, that deep connection that allows us to walk through each day with an ever-deepening faith, and we'll be careful to keep, keep our eye on our own thoughts and agendas that would move us to try to push you around. When we do that, we ask that you'd forgive us and help us get, get right and get it on the right track again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. God bless.